It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Here we go with Malia Jacobson as your host. Hello, and thank you for joining me for the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast, New Year's Resolution Edition. I'm your host, sleep and health journalist, Malia Jacobson. Happy New Year. We are just days away from or I guess one day away from the beginning of 2021, something that so many of us have waited so long for. This year has been so very long, and yet in a strange way, it has felt like a time warp. Um, Time has stood still at some times, and at other times just seemed like it's flying by. At any rate, we are rolling right into the new year, and many of us are making New Year's resolutions. I don't know about you. I do enjoy a good New Year's resolution. I don't always keep them, but I did share in another episode that I had some success this year after a conversation late last year um, at the end of 2019 with one of my guests, life coach Lena Meyer. I decided to go ahead and take her advice about creating a three-minute journaling routine in the morning and evening, and I've miraculously managed to keep that the entire year, um, even though this year has been really disruptive with you know our personal routines and schedules. I've kept it up through camping trips and through all the changes, and it is truly nothing short of a miracle because I have never been a journaler before. I've never been able to sustain that type of routine, and it's really had a a really great impact on my life. So that's a success story. I have many, many times when I have tried to start a New Year's resolution and have not been as successful. I do have a number of episodes that I think can help you if you have a resolution or a goal for 2021 related to your sleep, your health, your anxiety, your kids, Um, and anything in that space, I think I might have something that can help you. So I'm going to run through some common New Year's resolutions and tell you where you might be able to find some support and inspiration in my episodes from 2020. If you want to conquer insomnia, and if you've been struggling with this and it's something that you want to get a hold of, I strongly recommend listening to episode seven, Effortless Sleep with insomnia coach, Martin Reed. He gave great information and really actionable tips that you can use right away, starting tonight to really make progress with insomnia. And it's truly some medication-free approaches that are free and something that you may not have tried yet. It's one of my more popular episodes and I think that it would be really helpful. If you want to start tracking your sleep, maybe you got a new device, a new smartwatch for Christmas, and you want to start using it to track your sleep, I recommend listening to episode 26 with Connor Hedinkin, PhD, Research Director at Fitbit. There's some great information in there about how to get the most out of your sleep tracker, how to interpret the data, what sleep trackers can and can't do, and where the technology is headed next. So I think you'll find that really helpful. If you want to continue to support your kids' emotional and mental health during remote learning, I really recommend checking out episode 27 with licensed mental health counselor Gretchen Campbell, the founder of Grow, Encourage, Empower. She had a lot of great information for caregivers supporting students of all ages uh, from 
little ones up to the teenage years and just some great thoughts and inspiration on how we can both support our remote learners and keep our own spirits up during this time. If you want to help your teenager be less fatigued and tired, if you want to kind of tackle that tired teenager issue in your house, check out episode 14 with Dr. Craig Kanapari. He's one of the few sleep specialists and pediatricians out there really focusing on teens. It's very rare to find someone with the depth of expertise that he has in this very specific group of uh, of kids who really experience a lot of sleep struggles. If you have a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. So I totally cannot recommend um, him strongly enough. Check out the episode as well as his content um, that he publishes on his blog. If you want to just have more energy and have a, a stronger immune system in the new year, which I think is something that would appeal to all of us, I recommend episode 11 with Dr. Sierra Storm, a naturopath who focuses on energy and immune health. So she talks about how you can optimize your sleep to feel better, feel more energetic, and be more resilient in the new year. If you want to build new morning and evening routines and just really reshape your mental outlook and approach for this new year, I really recommend checking out episode eight with life coach Lena D. Meyer, who I mentioned earlier. She's just such a wellspring of inspiration. She has a wonderful, soothing voice. I just love speaking with her. She has so many thoughts and little uh, pieces of wisdom about how we can have more gratitude and just approach this very unique life stage that we're all in with gratitude and acceptance. And it was a great conversation, really helpful for me. If you want to get a handle on anxiety and stress eating, um, which from the popularity of this episode, I'm guessing that that's something that many people are struggling with. Um, and I'm right there with you. Um, I recommend checking out episode two with psychotherapist Michelle P. Maidenberg. She's someone that I've interviewed many times for many different topics. She's just uh, has just such a broad range of expertise related to parenting, mindfulness, mental health, um, and it's a great episode. So I recommend checking that one out. And finally, if you want to learn more about helping your kids be more resilient, um, both emotionally and resilient in terms of their immune health, I recommend episode six with pediatrician and digital communication expert, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. She is a parent and a physician who offers a lot of guidance and expertise about how we can best be there for our kids during this time. And with that, I am going to give you a little New Year's gift, and that is a replay of episode seven with insomnia coach Martin Reed, and that is the episode on effortless sleep, one of the more popular episodes in my lineup, and one that I really think is extremely helpful, full of useful information, and I hope that it's helpful to you. Enjoy, happy new year, and I will see you in 2021. Hello, Martin. Thanks so much for joining me today. 
thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I know a lot of people are struggling with their sleep right now, and I think your advice will be really helpful. Um, before we get to the really questions about insomnia coaching, I wanted to ask you about your personal background and experience that led you to work in this space. I know a lot of people are drawn to work in sleep support and insomnia based on kind of personal experience struggles, um, myself included. Um, so what drew you to work in this space? Well, ultimately it all stemmed from personal experience. Um, so I was this kind of person that never had trouble with sleep loved sleep. You know, I could easily probably sleep nine hours, 10 hours in bed if I had the opportunity to do so. Um, but that all changed uh, back in 2008 when I left the UK um, and moved to the US. Um, so at the time, it was obviously a big life change, leaving, that, leaving my country, moving to the US. I was also getting married that summer. Um, so there was a lot of change going on. And all of a sudden, I started to find it hard to sleep. And this was completely new to me. You know, I, I loved sleep. Um, I had never had any problems with sleep, but all of a sudden sleep become difficult. And I found myself like putting effort into sleep, um, trying to sleep. It would, I'd find it really hard to fall asleep. I'd often wake during the night and find it hard to fall back to sleep. Um, and so this led to all these efforts that I was putting into sleep, like I'd find myself going to bed earlier, um, spending more time in bed, you know, compensating for a difficult night with my activities during the day, you know, so I would kind of almost plan out my days, assuming that I'd have a hard night of sleep, or if I had a hard night of sleep, I would then stay in and not do something I was planning on doing. Um, and this just led me to try and figure out what was going on how I can fix this. And that was when I stumbled across, after lots of searching, these evidence-based techniques, these evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques that are so helpful. They ended up working for me. Um, and I was just amazed that this information, this kind of magic pill that everyone with insomnia is looking for is so hard to find. So I really wanted to work on getting that information out there for other people. Cause I figured, look, it's helped me. The studies show it helps lots of other people. We just need to make it more easily accessible, uh, more approachable, uh, more easy to understand. And that's really how I got started on this journey. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yes, I agree. And in the years since you have gone in and gotten all the certifications and kind of gone, gone the um, education route and built up your expertise so that you're now able to, to help others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, you had a big life change, your move from the UK to the US, and that um, sort of preceded your struggles with insomnia. I think right now, the world is kind of collectively dealing with a huge change and shift in our, in our daily patterns and routines, thanks to the global coronavirus pandemic. And we are seeing that many people are experiencing changes in their sleep. What are the people that you work with telling you about how their sleep has been impacted? Yeah, you know, um, I think really it's there's in two main ways. So first of all, we've got people that maybe have just never really struggled with sleep before, but since everything's been going on, they've started to experience sleep disruption. Um, and then on the other hand, we've got people 
that may have struggled with insomnia in the past uh, kind of got through it and was sleeping well, whether that's through the implementation of these cognitive and behavioral techniques or some other method that worked for them. Um, and that they found that their insomnia has now come back. So then they're concerned that, oh, I'm back to square one. Uh, there's something broken here. And that kind of feeds into the, the worry and feeds into more sleep disruption. So that's, that's typically what I'm seeing. We got brand new sleep disruption. Um, and we've also got the return of sleep disruption that many people might have thought they'd moved past. And why do you think that these changes are happening? Is it anxiety? Is it because everyone's routine has been upended? Um, you, as I said, you know, you mentioned in your background, you have some experience with that and how, you know, big changes in your life can precede changes in your sleep. What do you attribute all these changes right now that people are experiencing to? You know, I think it's important to recognize that our sleep is just really sensitive to our overall well-being. So anytime we're stressed or worried um, or there's a big change in, in our lives or uncertainty, we're going to experience sleep disruption. And that, that is completely normal and to be expected. So for everyone that's experiencing sleep disruption at the current time, that is normal and to be expected. It's not a sign that there's something wrong. Um, right. you know, ultimately it's kind of this survival mechanism, you know, as soon as the body just detects stress, worry, or uncertainty, it associates that with danger. It has to protect you, you know, and this can lead to, um, anxiety, you know, the stress response this fight or flight response, and that can disrupt sleep. Um, in addition, you know, if let's say you've lost your job, you've been furloughed, you're working fewer hours or you're working from home your whole daytime routine has also changed. So you no longer have that structure in your life. You know, you might no longer have to get out of bed at a certain time in the morning. Um, you might no longer have to have that obligation to go to bed by a certain time um, with all the social distancing and stuff like that. We might no longer be socializing or pursuing those enjoyable activities during the day. So, we, we, we've kind of lost our routine and this, this, these daytime cues, which can, you know, make us more worried, you know, um, can really bring out these perpetuating thoughts and behaviors where we might then spend more time thinking about sleep and worrying about sleep. When we're sedentary, it tends to increase fatigue. We might stay in bed for longer, maybe nap more during the day. So all this normal sleep disruption is then perhaps being perpetuated by this loss of routine. Right. Yes. And there's a lot of things that are counterintuitive in there. Like you mentioned, being sedentary tends to increase fatigue. And then mm. there's the um, napping throughout the day, maybe sleeping in later in the morning, which also can be detrimental to sleep. So some of the things that people are doing to actually rest more may be contributing to their insomnia. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it does sound quite counterintuitive, you know, because if we have, if we feel fatigued, our natural urge is to kind of conserve energy. Um, right. But all that tends to do is just feed into the fatigue. It's almost like um, I think many of us can recall a time where we just treated ourselves to a day off, you know, whether that's from work or just our regular day to day obligations. And we just did nothing like maybe we just sat on the couch and watched TV all day. 
And then by the time it's bedtime rolls around, you, you're exhausted. You know, you just think to yourself, why am I feeling so tired? I've done nothing all day. And it's just evidence that, you know, sedentary behavior can really intensify this feeling of fatigue. And it, it goes back to that old adage, you know, of like, when, when you're at rest, it's really hard to get moving. But when you get moving, you build that momentum and you feel so much better because of it. Right. Absolutely. I kind of think of it like a cup, like energy is a cup that you need to drain so that it can refill. You have to spend your energy to, to create more energy. And it is very counterintuitive. And sometimes when you're tired, getting off the couch is the absolute last thing you want to <laughs> right. do, but it, it's really beneficial. Um, yeah. So I think I have talked in previous episodes about insomnia, but I think we should probably define insomnia here. When you say insomnia, you're not just talking about a, a difficult night of sleep. What do you really mean when you're talking about um, someone with chronic insomnia? Yeah, well, with chronic insomnia, it's more a longer term problem, um, you know, months rather than days. So once you've been struggling, what if you find that you're struggling and it's you're having difficulty falling asleep, difficulty maintaining sleep through the night, you're feeling fatigued during the day because of your sleep, and that's ongoing over a number of months, you know, say around three months, then that's typically when we start to say this is more likely to be a chronic problem, chronic insomnia, rather than just temporary sleep disruption. Okay. All right. Thank you. And in your experience, you've worked with thousands of people experiencing insomnia. Does this type of chronic insomnia tend to hit pretty suddenly or does it progress slowly over time? Um, I, you know, it's different for, for everyone. Everyone's got their own journey, but typically it, it starts with just an initial trigger. And that could be any number of things. There are as many triggers of that initial sleep disruption as there are people in the world. Um, and sleep will just usually recover all by itself after that initial sleep disruption. Um, but sometimes it doesn't, you know, and that's usually because of our response to that sleep disruption. Um, the way we think about sleep changes um, and we might implement behaviors to improve our sleep that actually have the opposite effect and they can kind of perpetuate the insomnia. So what may have just been a temporary period of sleep disruption becomes a longer term problem. Um, and this can affect everyone. Some people might have been slept great up until that initial trigger, but for other people, they might recognize that sleep has always been a little bit difficult for them. They've had bouts where they've struggled um, for a week, for a couple of weeks, but then got back on track but then suddenly they've then experienced this period where it's just not going away. So there's really like those, those, those two different experiences. Okay. Thank you. And I do want to come back later to those behaviors that you mentioned that people do to improve their sleep that end up actually having the opposite effect. Yeah. But first I wanted to ask about um, your work as an insomnia coach. You know, I'm a runner and I work with a running coach and I know anytime that you have a goal in mind or something that you're working toward, it can be so beneficial to have a coach in your corner. Um, how do you work with people as an insomnia coach? Yeah, um, well, I think it really goes back to these thoughts and behaviors. So really it's so helpful to uncover and identify these thoughts and behaviors that might be perpetuating the problem. 
And that way we come up with a plan on how to address them. Um, because ultimately if you can avoid all these or address these thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate insomnia, you remove those perpetuating factors it makes it so much easier for your sleep to get back on track. So we, we usually start with that, trying to identify and address those thoughts and behaviors. And then really it's just about support, you know, because the technique, these evidence-based techniques are relatively straightforward when you read them, but they can be really challenging to implement, especially in the short term. So really it's all about having that support, having that reassurance, the motivation to make the changes and sustain those changes. Um, and also it can just be helpful. I'm sure you'll identify with this as a runner to have that accountability, you know, yes, because when you're working, yeah, exactly. When you're working independently, it's so easy to let things slide. But when you know that you're going to be sharing what you're doing with someone else, it can really hold you accountable to making and sustaining those changes. Right. That's a great point because you really are talking about behavior change. And I think anytime there's a behavior change that's involved, that accountability piece is huge. And sometimes that just knowing that you have to report back to someone is mm -hmm. enough to get you to do something that you might not otherwise do or, or might let slide. Exactly. So you are really talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a coach, so I'm, I'm certainly not a therapist, but we're right. just looking at these cognitive techniques, which is just a fancy way of saying, helping to change the way you think about sleep. So really, that's education, you know, and then the behavioral is just the behaviors that we often implement in a bid to improve our sleep, but can backfire and perpetuate the problem. Um, and if you're, let's say, seeing a face-to-face, -face seeing a therapist face-to-face -face for your insomnia, it's likely that they will be implementing cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI, with you, because that has been proven time and time again to be the best long-term treatment for chronic insomnia. Right. Thank you. And can you give some examples of those behaviors that people are doing that might they might be thinking they're helping, but they're actually hurting their sleep? Yeah, absolutely. So the big one is just spending too much time in bed or allotting too much time for sleep. So this often comes from the idea that I want to get seven hours of sleep or I should be getting eight hours of sleep. So you spend that much or maybe even more time in bed with the hope that the more time you spend in bed, the more sleep you'll get. But unfortunately, all that does is lead to more time awake during the night, um, which is unpleasant. And it kind of feeds into worry and anxiety and arousal, which makes sleep more difficult. And also when we allot too much time for sleep, um, let's say you're getting out of bed at a different time every day, staying in bed really late in the morning, that disrupts sleep drive as well. And this can almost go back to your cup analogy. You know, um, as you fill that cup, when the cup is full, it starts to overflow. That's your sleep drive. When that cup right. is full, you'll sleep. Um, so you need to empty that cup all the way before it can refill again. And once it fills up and gets to the top, you'll sleep. So if you go to bed really early in the hope of getting more sleep, that cup might only be half full and it'll be really hard for you to fall asleep. Or if you do manage to fall asleep, you might wake up after a couple of hours because that cup is then empty because every hour of sleep, you're draining that cup. Um, so, so that's the big one, you know, because it disrupts sleep drive time awake during the night just feeds into worry as well. Um, 
And, and we also see body clock disruption as well. So most people will probably be familiar with this idea that we have a body clock that wakes us up in the morning, um, helps keep us awake during the day, and then signals when it's time for sleep at night. And if we, especially if we're getting out of bed at a different time every day, it's really hard for our body clock to regulate itself. It never knows when we should be awake or when we should be asleep. And that can make sleep more difficult too. Um, and then the final one, you know, is just the way we can modify our lives in response to sleep disturbances. So we might become more sedentary. We might cancel plans with friends, call in sick to work. Um, and unfortunately, all these things, they're not really going to impact sleep in a positive way. But not only that is when we cancel our plans, we kind of guarantee that every difficult night has a negative outcome. And this makes us feel more pressured to sleep, tempted to put more effort into sleep. And the more sedentary we are, the more we worry about sleep, the more opportunity there is to maybe nap during the day to research sleep. Um, and this really just kind of feeds into that arousal system and can continue to make sleep difficult. Right. Thank you. Yes, I think I just saw a study uh, that when we are tired, and sleep deprived, we do actually exercise quite a bit less and um, move less throughout the next day. I think that that's been borne out in research. It's pretty mm -hmm. interesting. Um, even if that's not our intention, I think we are just um, more sedentary and, and um, not as inclined to, to move and be active. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and just to add, sometimes we might even adopt the opposite behavior. You know, we might exercise furiously and just engage in huge amounts of exercise in the belief that that will somehow generate sleep. And again, that's unconstructive because intense exercise, intense working out, you know, that's good at kind of draining our energy levels, but it's not going to generate sleep, but we can kind of believe that we, we can somehow control sleep when we do things like that. Um, so anytime we kind of implement a behavior with the goal of generating sleep, it's usually unhelpful because it, we're putting effort into sleep. And as soon as we put effort into sleep, sleep tends to become more difficult. And it implies that we can somehow control sleep when ultimately sleep can't be controlled. Right. Isn't that so interesting? The more effort we put in, the 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 less results we're going to see. Right. Um, so you've talked about the things that don't work well. Can you talk about the things, the behaviors that then do end up working and um, supporting healthy sleep? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, it's probably just the opposite of everything we've talked about. Okay. So um, allotting an appropriate amount of time for sleep is just so helpful. You know, so let's say that you feel that on an average night, you're getting, say, five hours of sleep. If you can just cut back the amount of time you're allotting for sleep, maybe to say like five and a half or six hours, um, that will really help just because it will reduce the amount of time you spend awake in bed um, and it will help ensure that you're building enough sleep drive during the day to help you sleep at night. Um, but that will only work if you also maintain that consistent out of bedtime in the morning. Right. So let's say you're looking at a six hour, I like to call it the sleep window, you know, so you're giving yourself a six hour window for sleep. Um, let's say midnight till 6am. Um, so no matter what happens during the night, no matter how well you sleep or how poorly you sleep, you try and get out of bed by six o'clock in the morning every day. And then you avoid going to bed or sleeping 
before midnight, before the start of your sleep window the following night. So you've got all that time for sleep drive to build. You've got all that time for that mug to, to fill up, for that cup to fill and help you sleep at night. Um, but at the same time, this is, this is somewhere where people can sometimes trip up is they see the start of that sleep window as their set in stone bedtime. Right. But really it should just be seen as your earliest possible bedtime. So if to use this example of midnight, if midnight rolls around and you're not feeling sleepy, then it's usually best to avoid going to bed until you do feel sleepy, but then still maintain that consistent out of bedtime in the morning. Because uh, ultimately the clock doesn't know when you're sleepy. You know, your body knows when it's sleepy. When you feel those sleepiness cues, that's your cue to go to bed once the sleep window begins. So that's probably the, the really the most helpful, the most helpful thing that you can do is allotting an appropriate amount of time for sleep and getting out of bed by the same time every day. That can just be so helpful. Um, and then the, the other really helpful thing is to just try as best as you can to go about your day as normal. Um, even at pursue the idea that you want to add enjoyable activities to your day. You know, the more, the more you can enjoy your days, the less concerned you can become about the quality of your sleep or how one night of sleep might affect your day. Because ultimately we have far more control over the quality of our day than our previous night of sleep. And when we can prove that to ourselves by making ourselves engage in enjoyable activities, things we enjoy that give us a sense of reward, of enrichment, we can see that, oh, I can have a good day or at least some okay moments during the day, even after a difficult night of sleep. And that not only just improves your life, but it helps you downplay the importance of sleep and it reduces that temptation you might have to put pressure on yourself to sleep. And that in turn helps improve the quality of your sleep. Yes, I love that. We do have more control over the quality of our day than our night. And it sounds like you're really just talking about dialing down some of that anxiety that people yeah. have around sleep, which can then make sleep more elusive. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if nothing else, the more active and engaged we are during the day, the less time our mind has to focus on sleep and worry about sleep. Right. Yes. Thank you. And also the, the less time you're going to have to try and sneak in a nap, which is probably <laughs> yeah. not helpful as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You know, because to use the cup again, you know, if you take that nap, you're draining that cup. So it's going to, you might find it harder to fall asleep at night um, to fall asleep at the start of the night or to sleep through the night if you're regularly taking daytime naps because they are going to reduce your sleep drive. Right. Thank you. So I'm curious about the thing that you get the most pushback from with the people that you work with. Is there one behavior change that everyone kind of groans about or that people just don't want to do? Um, you know, the, the big ones are probably reducing the amount of time you spend in bed or the amount of time you're allotting for sleep. Um, typically because this usually involves going from an, a usual bedtime of say something like nine o'clock to maybe as late as midnight, you know, and that big change makes people think, well, how am I going to get more sleep if I'm spending less time in bed? Um, but really the goal there is, first of all, the goal is never to reduce the amount of sleep you're getting. So the amount of time you allot for sleep is always longer than your average nightly sleep duration. So there's always that opportunity to get a bit more sleep. But ultimately, all we're doing 
is reducing the amount of time you spend awake during the night. So when I get pushback, it's helpful to just ask a client, um, when you spend all this time awake during the night, does that feel good? Um, would, do you think that it might be nicer to spend less time awake during the night? Maybe we could just try this for a week or two and just see how it goes and evaluate again from there. And often you can address most of those, that initial resistance that way. It's just by making it clear what the actual goals and the intentions are um, and just recognizing that time spent awake during the night doesn't feel good. And if we can reduce that, most people can see that, yeah, that would be nice to be spending less time awake during the night. Right. Yes. And that's where that accountability piece comes in and having a coach to remind you why you're doing this in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And also it can just be helpful because you've got someone to highlight your successes when you've been struggling with sleep for a long time or with anything, the brain always wants to focus on all the outstanding and remaining difficulties. So it can really lead to this kind of cognitive distortion where you just feel like you're not making any progress. And when you've got that kind of independent person working alongside you um, that can take a more objective look at your progress, they can pick out all these improvements that you might not have even recognized if you were just doing this by yourself. So I have some clients that's, that might tell me, oh, this just isn't working. I'm not making any progress. But then if I look at their sleep diaries, I can see, well, they're spending an hour less time awake during the night. Their sleep duration is maybe the same at the current time, but they're spending an hour less time awake during the night. So I can say, well, look, you're spending an hour less time awake during the night. Did, 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 you, did you realize this? How does that feel? And you're just teasing out all these positives, um, which might have otherwise been missed. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and I know it's going to vary from person to person, but when someone is really doing the work and they're dialed in and um, they're, they're working toward this, how long can they expect to uh, take to see results? Because it's certainly not an overnight yeah. fix, but it also doesn't take as long as I think some people might think. Yeah, you know, everyone is different. Um, so the, the main, the online coaching course that I offer is eight weeks long. Um, and most people will experience improvements within that eight week period, regardless of how long they've had insomnia. So I've worked with people that have had insomnia for like 30 years, 40 years. And within that eight weeks, they've experienced significant improvements in their sleep. For some people, they might require more time because everyone is different. You know, their beliefs might be more entrenched. They might have um, a lot more uh, anxiety or worry, um, or we may have just been implementing the techniques a little bit more gradually just to allow them to get more comfortable with them rather than making dramatic imp um, changes right off the bat. Um, so everyone is different <laughs> the show to summarize, everyone is different, but most right. people can expect to see improvements. Um, certainly within eight weeks, um, some people see it just within a few weeks and some people only need to change like one thing, you know, by allotting less time for sleep, getting out of bed at the same time every day for some people, that's all they need to do. And they notice improvements within like a week or two. Um, but I think if you can adopt the mindset that, you know, I'm going to give myself say two months and I'm going to, I'm going to do this and then I'll evaluate in two months. Um, that can be really helpful because if we focus on the outcome from night to night, 
you know, that can kind of lead us astray. It's usually more helpful to just focus on the process, um, focus on implementing the techniques and the results will come. Right. Yes. Thank you. So in taking people through this eight week course, is there a light bulb moment or something that people are typically pretty surprised to learn about insomnia or about their own journey? Um, you know, I, I think there's a few, th a few light bulb moments that people have. Um, one of them is probably that their insomnia isn't unique or unusual. It's really easy to think that our experience with insomnia is unusual. It's not normal. And therefore, as a result, there's kind of like no hope for us that we're going to be living right. with insomnia forever. We're all the special snowflakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But once you can recognize that your insomnia is pretty much the same as everyone else's, um, that can just be so reassuring because then you know, well, look, if my insomnia is pretty much the same as everyone else's and all those other people implemented these techniques and got their sleep back on track, then I can too. And that in itself can just be so reassuring. Um, probably the other big one that I see is in terms of sleep requirement, you know, so many of us have this belief that we have to get eight hours of sleep or we have to get seven hours of sleep, that we all need to get X amount of sleep. What the truth is, we're all different. We, we all have our own individual sleep requirement. And this can also vary from day to day and night to night as well. Um, so just as someone might have this personal sleep requirement that they have to get seven hours of sleep, someone else might have a personal sleep requirement of five hours of sleep or 10 hours of sleep. Um, we're all different. So when you see all these headlines that say you have to be getting X number of hours of sleep, or you're going to end up with enter any kind of horrific or scary disease or ailment, um, that can be really unhelpful because it can lead you striving to get a certain amount of sleep that you might not even need. Um, so recognizing that we all have an individual sleep requirement and that we get all of our deepest, most restorative sleep in the start of the night. So as long as we're getting, say, two or three hours of sleep, we're getting pretty much all of our deep sleep that can be really reassuring as well. And so they're, they're probably like the two big light bulb moments that I find are really helpful for people. Right. Thank you. And if somebody is sort of overwhelmed right now, maybe they're not ready to jump in with the eight week course, or they're not sure if they really have insomnia, but they are struggling. What's one thing or, or a couple of things <laughs> that they can do right now? Yeah. You know, I think, giving up all effort to sleep. You know, as soon as you find yourself striving for sleep or trying to sleep, that's really unproductive. It makes sleep so much more difficult. Um, and if you can just remove sleep from any decisions that you make, any of your decision-making processes, if you find that you're making decisions based on sleep, try to avoid that. So for example, um, it's a little bit different now with everything going on with uh, the coronavirus. But um, let's say your partner asks if you want to go to the movies tomorrow night and you're thinking, oh, well, um, I might not be able to get back in time for bed or I might not have enough energy. Depends on how I sleep the night before. Things like that. You know, you're, you're allowing sleep to control your life um, and affect your decisions. If you can kind of try and avoid doing that, it can be really helpful. Um, 
and then just on a more granular level, it's kind of things we've already discussed, you know, um, try to not go to bed earlier to compensate for any difficult nights. You know, only go to bed when you feel sleepy enough for sleep. Try and keep that consistent out of bedtime. Um, if, if you're in bed and you're struggling, it doesn't feel good to be in bed. It's usually more helpful to just get out of bed and just do anything else that you find relaxing and enjoyable. So you don't reinforce this idea that the bed is an unpleasant place to be. It's a place for unpleasant wakefulness. Um, and just try and pursue your daytime routine, add, pursue activities, be active. It doesn't always have to be physical activities mental activities are important too. Just things that you find enjoyable and engaging um, and just try and live your life as though insomnia isn't there. Um, because really the more attention we pay to sleep and insomnia, uh, the more of a role it plays in our lives and the harder it is to move away from. Okay, thank you. So really, it sounds like redirecting those energies and efforts that you're putting into trying to sleep into trying to improve your day instead. You know, that can that can be so helpful. Um, you know, we're always going to want to put effort into improving problems. Um, and for everything else in life, everything responds positively to effort apart from sleep. As soon as we put effort into sleep, sleep becomes more difficult. So it's all about just redirecting those efforts um, into things that help set the stage for sleep and give sleep the best chance possible for happening. So not going to bed before a certain time at the night, getting out of bed by a certain time of the day, um, being active during the day, putting all your attention and efforts into just setting the stage for sleep rather than trying to control sleep directly. Thank you. Well, that's really helpful. And it is very refreshing to hear that there's one less thing that we can kind of put a lot of effort into right now because right. there's just a lot going on for everyone. Exactly. So I, I appreciate that. Where can people learn more about you or find uh, more information about your course? Yeah, well, probably the easiest way is to just go to my website, which is insomniacoach.com. Um, there's also um, a free, I offer a free two-week sleep training course on the website too. Um, uh, for a lot of people, that's actually all they need to help improve their sleep. So what happens is you just put your email address in, you get one short email every day for two weeks that gives you information about sleep to help um, identify or uncover any thoughts you might or beliefs you might have about sleep that could be leading to you putting pressure on your sleep, on yourself to sleep or worry about sleep. And it gives you um, suggested changes that you can make, like helpful behaviors that will give sleep the best chance possible. Um, so at the end of the two weeks, you might find that that was all you needed. Um, in which case, great. You know, that's always my goal is to just help people implement these behaviors. But if you're still struggling, then you can choose to uh, work with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your expertise and I think it'll be helpful to a lot of people. That's great to hear. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Now you know. Thanks for checking out the show.